0: Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Wednesday, and uh, I promised you that um, I would be giving you some additional thoughts on our initial lesson on understanding the Bible that we did a couple of weeks back now, and uh, additional notes. And so that's what we're doing uh, at this time. Right now, I'm in Colorado at Healing Is Here And it has been amazing and awesome and wonderful. And the Lord sent one speaker in particular for me. And she was amazing, amazing. And I needed to hear what she had to share. So I encourage you, yeah, watch all of Healing is Here. Especially watch Thursday. At 10 a.m. Colorado time. That's when my daughter and myself will be interviewed by Andrew Womack and Carrie Pickett. But I encourage you to go to YouTube and find Audrey Max message. What a powerful message. And... uh I'm telling you, I received freedom, 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 emotional freedom, freedom that I really needed, and uh, was so blessed by it. I know you will be too. So it's just it's beautiful here, but I wanted to get on. And uh, um, those of you that have become, you know, foundational partners, you are a gift. I I praise God for you, and this ministry is headed into some. Uh, new and exciting directions, and the Lord has been blessing, and that blessing has been coming, has been coming through um, people like you. And I encourage you, if you like these series, if you like the teachings, um, if you think others should should uh, hear them or might want to be a part of them share, them, share them, share them, share them. And you know, if they're not sure, um, I will invite them. Uh, as guests, so that they could get a feel or see for themselves. Um, But next Tuesday, we're going to be on, live on Zoom again, and you'll be getting your invitations. It will be recorded. You will get notes, and we'll be continuing. But I wanted to, again, talk about some additional insights from our first session. Lesson one, understanding the Bible. And particularly from uh, Section B, understanding, understanding Theology, the study of the nature of God and religious belief. And, and it's amazing how theology and the study of theology and the study of the nature of God, they complicate things so very much. Uh, you know, you all know that I've had a pest control business also. And I'm, I remember one day I was called into a church and I don't have to tell you what type of church or what type of denomination it was, because it doesn't matter. It's, it's all the same. And I was treating it for some various insect infestations. In fact, in fact, they had fleas. Their dogs had come up with fleas and, and all the carpeting, all the rooms, they called me up for fleas. Flea extermination. But literally, literally, I... As I walked from room to room to room and office from office to office to office, I was amazed at the volumes of books, the volumes of books. And as I looked at them, you know, like understanding the Bible, you know, how to how to interpret the Bible, interpreting the Bible, commentaries on I, I was just amazed at the amount of volumes of books, all to understand one book. And you know what, the nature of God has never changed. And, 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 and the apostle John tells us that simply God is love. That's what it's about. It's about the nature of God, God is love. And in his nature, he sent Jesus, it's all about Jesus. And in their love for us, they wanted to to have a family that we would all be one. And so they made us to be just like them. It couldn't be any any easier. And, and, And when we look at the New Testament and you follow through John, John chapter 17, I believe it's verse 23, where Jesus is is praying, Father, that they would know. Father, this is what we want them to know. Father, this is what I'm praying, that they would know you love them as much as you love me. Here we go. God is love. You know, then we springboard to to Paul. And Paul is amazing. In in Romans chapter 5, where he tells us God commended his love for us. He commends his love for us. You know, while we were sinners, that's when Christ died for us because he loved us so much. God commends his love to us. And then in chapter five, he goes on to say, and God has sent the Holy Spirit to our hearts to reveal this love for us. And then in Ephesians, you know, Paul goes on to tell us he's loved us. He saw us in Christ in love from before times began. It's in Ephesians chapter one, verse four. In verse seven of chapter one, he tells us we are now accepted in the inner circle of God. Beloved, we're the beloved. You know, he tells us in, in, in Ephesians chapter three. Oh, he prays that we would be firmly rooted and established in Christ and his love. And he goes on to say, that we would know the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, the length of his love for us. It's so simple, guys. It, it really is. And there are so many more verses. But we'll end up with 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. Where John tells us, here's love, guys. Here is real love. Because God is love. Here is love. Not that we love God, but that he loves us. So I showed you a book, one of the books I had to read from my first uh, attending a Bible college in in the late 70s, early 80s. And it was a systematic theology and it was over 1,200 pages long. And um, the print was like .8 print. I just, I couldn't believe it. I just, I just couldn't believe it. And, and today, more people, you know, the, and there's so much confusion because of that in the body of Christ in the believers. And I could, I could hear Jesus saying, I could hear Jesus saying, the traditions of men, the traditions of men, the teachings of men make the word of God none effect. How much more powerful would the word of God be for us, in us, through us to others, if we kept it in its simplicity. But because people want to know God more and they don't know the basics, they'll decide to go to a ministry school or to attend a seminary. And we've heard the joke all the jokes about seminary. People go in and think they think they want to learn about God and his ways and they come out, you know, so confused. So, so disoriented, and and so we've heard the jokes that seminary is e- equals the cemetery. People go to cemetery, and then others go to Bible school. And although I'm not calling these these teachings or this teaching a Bible school, you know you are going to get a lot of a lot of good, you know, meat that you can chew into. That's going to help you. That's going to cause you to. To grow in areas that, uh, you know, possibly you thought you have been enjoying life in those areas, life in abundance. But it's going to it's gonna bring you to more abundance. It's going to bring you to more abundantly, I, I promise you. <clears throat> and, and so I don't call it a Bible school, but it's, it's going to be kind of like Bible school because we're going to, as we go on, and, and as we go on, you know, and hey, if you don't like next week or or, or the, the teaching after that, hold on, because we're going to be covering everything. We're going to be covering all things. I can't wait to get into New Covenant, New Covenant, uh, the New and Better Covenant, New Covenant Theology. I can't wait to go through the, the, the covenant so, so people can understand the Bible is true from cover to cover, but it's not all true for you and me. It's not all true for you and me. Different times. Different covenants, man who was not born again versus man who is now born again. I mean, there are major, major differences. And yes, we read and we enjoy and we get encouraged, but we know we live in the new and better covenant. We are new creations. We are born again. And as a side note, that's why I like to spend much of my time in Paul's writings because Paul writes to the new creation. I spend about 85% of my time in Paul's writings, and uh, he writes to the new man. He is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for there is the power of God for salvation, soteria, soteriology, salvation, deliverance, rescue, Redemption, protection, healing, wholeness. And so, this is what I want. I want to learn this power that comes from God through the simple gospel of Christ, the anointed one with the anointing. That's what Christ, when you see Christ, know that it's talking about the anointed one and the anointing. We're going to talk about that later on too. So systematic theology is one way of understanding it. The other way is biblical theology, letting the Bible, you know, explain itself. And it's amazing. The amazing thing about the Bible, especially what I found through Paul's writings, is as you read it, it will give correction to itself. It will, it will give definition to itself. And what do I mean by correction? And what do, and what do I mean by de- definition? Well, in uh, our next lessons, we're going to learn about how the Bibles are formulated. We're going to learn about um, translations and whatnot. The Bible, we're going to learn about inerrancy, uh, accuracy, uh, authority, authoritative. But, you know, the Bible, right? The Word of God. Many of our Bibles, the translations, they were not inspired by God. They are the work of man. So we can't say it's inerrant because it has man's subjective thinking to it. It has wordings from cultures that had nothing to do with the cultures of the day where the original manuscripts were being written. You know, and now we live in a day where wordings are completely different, and some of the translations, the people behind it, the orders that they were given in their translations, they had agendas, and you can see the agendas in the word of, in their wording. And this is why I tell you, you have to have right filters when you read the New Testament. Your filters are, I am, I am just like Jesus Christ. I am just like Jesus Christ, period. If you can't say it about Jesus, you can't say it about me. If you can say it about Jesus, you can say it about me. If Jesus can do it, then I have the power and the ability to do it. And if Jesus has it, is air of it, so am I. So my filters of reading the scriptures are very easy. I can, I am, and I have. And as I read translations, and they have wording that's contrary to that, I know it's wrong. But here's where I was saying that the Bible will correct itself. If Paul is wrongly translated in one portion of Scripture, as you keep reading Paul, you're going to see other areas where, wait a second, is Paul schizophrenic? Is he changing his mind? No. And Paul's thoughts and thinkings and reasonings and theologies and doctrines will be proven, it will prove itself out as you continue reading. That's why it's very important to read Read whole letters, not just not just a scripture, or or one one scripture, or two scriptures, or three, but a whole letter. Why it's important to read a series of his letters, and it will bring correction, not to the word of God, but to the translations that have not been accurately or properly translated. So biblical, biblical theology. And then we talked about in um, section C. So I hope you have your first notes, your first week's notes as we're going through this. You'll also have these notes with you. We talked about exegesis and eisegesis. Two ways in um, looking at the Bible. And eisegesis is approaching the Bible and pulling from what it, it says making hermeneutics extremely important. And for instance, we, we looked at Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 24 talked about heaven and, and, and earth. Jesus was referring to the fact that he did not come to, to, you know, to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. And until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle should pass away. And, and then he talked about destruction. Destruction of Jerusalem. Not one stone being left on another. You can go and read this. But here's the right? It's pulling out what the Bible really is saying. What, what it's really telling us and hermeneutics, and we're going to talk about hermeneutics, is so very important, all right? What was Jesus talking about? And you have to know right off the bat, even without knowing Jesus, even without knowing what true hermeneutics is all about, if Jesus is saying, until heaven and earth pass away, you know, the law is still going to be in place. So what he's saying. If that was the case, guys... We're all breaking the law. We're all lawbreakers. We all should be living, living under the six hundred and thirteen ceremonial laws, celebrating all the festivals and 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 we we should be definitely, you know, the Big Ten should be ruling and reigning our lives. We should be going to worship to service on the Sabbath on Saturday. I mean. Celebrating the moons and I, I, we're all, we're all living wrong, if we're living in the new covenant. If what Jesus was talking about was really heaven and earth, and then I I included in the first week's notes, the, the meanings. Especially of that day, when they heard the words heaven and earth, and how it related, to. The temple, the temple, the inner sanctuary, the outer courtyard, the surrounding areas, how it was a picture, you know, of the universe, of the earth. And in there was heaven. It was the portal between man and God, that holy of holies, the holy place. And so they understood what Jesus was talking about. And he was talking about his destruction And once his destruction, once its destruction came, then the law would no longer be in place. And so when will these things take place? And he gives them warnings and signs. And now historically, which is very big for hermeneutics, we know he was talking about the temple and he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that would take place in AD 70, where it was totally devastated the entire place was laid to waste and laid to ruins. Abomination of desolation took place in that temple. The temple was destroyed. The temple was put on fire. There was not one stone laying on another. And you see what Jesus was talking about, what they were hearing, what they were understanding. And I'm going to tell you this. When we go through the through the New Testament from Acts to Revelation, you are going to see all the warnings that are in complete agreement with Jesus's warnings, how the apostles, how the writers of the letters of of the the books that we now call our Bible, our New Testament, were all in agreement and they were all talking about these warnings. And when I spell them out and when I show you them, you're going to go, wow. And so um, this is exegesis, letting the Bible, right? Be the Bible, Pulling from it what it is saying. Using correct hermeneutics, which is extremely important. But most of us, most of us, we're involved with eisegesis. And it's approaching the Bible and inserting what we think is there. What we think it means. What we think it's saying. All right, and we we talked about Revelation chapter eight verse thirteen, where it talked about an eagle, you know, and preachers, you know, who who are not understanding eschatology right because, for instance, the heaven and earth and the destruction, they're thinking that it hasn't taken place, it hasn't happened, it's going to happen, and you know, uh, the big questions have always been what's going to happen to America and what's going to happen to the United States. Well, because it, the United States. <clears throat> Uh, one of our chief emblems is the eagle. Then they'll go in and pull from the Bible. Uh, here it is. Here's the mentions, and mentionings of the United States or whatever. And you know what? That's eisegesis. and it's 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 not accurate. And and because of that, there's so many inaccuracies, inaccuracies out there today. And we're going to be exposing many of them and some of them. And you know, maybe some of you are going to want to. You know, suck me in the nose or whatever. But some, and some of you are going to say, Wow, I'm free. I'm really free now. And I really understand. But, you know, I said, Jesus, and what did they get him from? They get him from because most people's studies, or the way that most people approach the Bible is, is uh, devotionally. You know, they'll have books where they'll read, you know, one sentence, one, one scripture, and then someone will give it all his thoughts. And that's how they get their biblical training and their biblical understanding. Well, that's basically from people most most of the time that, that are using isogesis, you know, or then from the from the from the platform every Sunday, you know, <clears throat> topical messages that are not properly hermeneutically, you know, developed and 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 formulated from the scriptures, ministers and I, I know it to be true, I I I remembered when I was to become a pastor, I was like, wow, Lord, how do I come up with fifty two messages a year, you know, and then. You know, you, you formulate in your mind, uh, okay, what are they going to need to hear? Well, they're going to need to hear messages about this, messages about that, messages about this, messages about that. And then what you do is you go into the scriptures and you try to find scriptures that will prove your topics. And many oftentimes, they might be good topics, but they're not scripturally accurate. Because because what you are making them to be, what your topical message is, is not what they were meant to be or what they were meant to say. And that's where hermeneutics becomes so important. I hope, I hope this is making sense. And uh so we talked about that. And and when when, when you're talking about about eisegesis, it, it, listen, I'm a, a small example. I, I'm a, as a director and people are deciding whether or not they, they want to come to college, Bible the Karis Bible college or not, you know, they'll come up to me and, and you know, God spoke to me and here's the scripture God spoke to me. And I'm like, Mm, okay, all right. And then they'll come back to me, you know, a week later or a month later, and they'll say, and they'll say, Well, you know what, I don't think I, I I think I have to leave school because God showed me this, God told me this, and it's another scripture. And here's you know, you you have no idea as a director how many times you know people let you know that God changes his mind. You know, God wants you there, God doesn't want you there, God's gonna provide, God's not gonna provide. You know, you know, uh, yes you do, yes you should, no you don't. God, you know, it's, it's all God. And when you get the God card thrown at you, well, God said, and God told me, and, and, you know, and uh, what can you do with that? You can't do much with that. But um, that's the difference. And, you know, does God speak to us? Yes, he does. But he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, through the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. And when he does, right, that's called the rhema, the rhema word. When he does, it's not going to be in uh, conflict with the Scriptures. It will not be. So, eisegesis, uh, uh, exegesis, and um, one of the root issues and challenges and difficulties, the problem comes alongside of I see Jesus is how do we interpret the Scripture? And in Second Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, it says, knowing this, knowing this firstly, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but by holy men of God who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Okay? No private interpretations. No private interpretations. Hey, this is what I believe it means. This is what I believe it means. No private interpretations. And this is why we talked about uh, letter D, Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is from the Greek root word meaning to interpret. So, hermeneutics is not related just to theology, but any study of literature or history that requires interpretation. It is the art or science of interpretation. You know, it asks the questions who said it? Who was the audience? What's the historical setting? What's the historical background? What were the hearers hearing? What did it mean to the author? What did it mean to the original hearer or reader, which is reader revelance? So vitally important. That's how we, we go into our studies of what was meant when he said heaven, when Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, all right? Or until heaven and earth pass away. We know now. We know now. And and hermeneutics is so vitally important because not only for changes in our own languages and cultures, but in theirs, as well as changes within the so-called original languages of Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. And so what we're going to do as we continue to unfold lesson after lesson after lesson is to look at the scriptures and try as, as hard and as, as best we can by the leading of the Holy Spirit to be hermeneutically correct. Because then your true understanding and your true freedom that's where it will be found. And um, here's some other scriptures I've given you to please look up. Look up 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Look up Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. Chapter 24, verse 3. And verse 35. Very vitally important. And they're all talking about the example, the easiest, easiest of examples that I can give you heaven and earth, the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem. And I ended with this this statement. Can Christians excuse themselves from obeying the law of Moses? Jesus plainly said, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law. Matthew 5, verse 18. Surely that would mean we are still under all 613 commandments of the Pentateuch, and 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 they must be followed until some cataclysmic event takes place. And so, these are some additional notes, some, some d- additional understanding. And this is why it's important for you to know your scriptures and to read them. You know, I have such a piece in Col- from Colossians where it talks about the cross, how Jesus nailed the ordinances that were against us, that were contrary to us. And that's talking about the law, the law, the Big Ten and the ceremonial law. He nailed them to the cross, canceling them out. All that was against us, contrary to us, condemning to us. So, Colossians is very important in hermeneutics in helping us understand it. And then it talks about it in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand, therefore, in the freedom where which Christ has made you free. And when you look up those words... In the Greek, Paul is talking about liberated and freedom from all ceremonial and moral laws. And then he says, and no longer allow yourself to be enslaved to a yoke of bondage. And so we're done with this additional teaching. I hope it has blessed you and blesses you. And like I said, if it does, share this with other people or let me know who they are. And we will send them um, invitations so that they can find out for themselves. But thank you for your monthly gifts. They are going to be uh, vitally important in the direction that the Lord is is taking this ministry. And like I said, you're going to be blessed. As Pastor Lenny is saying, I love you. Walk in the blessings.